Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Warren Evans. And I'm Virginia Allen. If you need Christmas gift ideas, Lauren and I, we have you covered. Okay, Lauren, top two, maybe best Christmas gift ideas. Ready, set, go. All the gift. All candle the- warmers. Like every oh. couple every couple weeks, they sell candle warmers at Aldi's, and then they also have really great candles. I can attribute to how well these things work because Lauren has one, one in my and office. Her office smells oh, amazing. Oh, everybody. And even the men come by and they're like, oh, I need to get one of those. And because <laughs> it's just so nice. There's no flame and it smells nice and you can switch scents out really simple. And so that's definitely one. And then just coming back from Disney, everybody and their mom is obsessed with Baby Yoda. So I feel like this is the year where everything is going to be Baby Yoda theme. And as someone who does not like Star Wars, I'm here for it. <laughs> it's very cute. Baby Yoda is adorable. Uh, so speaking of candles, one of my top recommendations, and I maybe have given a few people these already, but um, candles from Marshalls or TJ Maxx, they're very discounted oh. and they get some pretty good quality candles in, including Yankee candles. Um but very, very affordable. Number two, give an experience. I think it's so fun to, like, for a family member, like, give them concert tickets or, you know, give your mom a gift card for a massage. It's especially if you have people in your life that are quality time people, Mm. giving them something that they can do with other people. It's very, very unique. Um, And then the last thing, books are always a great suggestion, but I want to give a special shout out to this specific book that I highly recommend. It's called Unbothered, What I Learned the Hard Way About College, Job Hunting, and How to Make Your 20s Suck a Little Less. And it's (laughs) by Rebecca Stowe. Rebecca is one of our regular Problematic Women listeners. She reached out to Lauren and I quite a few months ago and was just like, hey, I listened to the show. I like it. Um, And then recently she sent me an email and was like, hey, I wrote a book. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you wrote a book? Uh, so she sent me a copy and I read it and I honestly couldn't put it down. Rebecca is an excellent writer. She's super pithy and she just kind of says it like it is. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I appreciate this. So for uh, any anyone in your life, young women for yourself, uh, for friends, for your sisters, it's called Unbothered, What I Learned the Hard Way About College, Job Hunting, and How to Make Your 20s Suck a Little Less by Rebecca Stowe. It's on Amazon. Highly recommend. I love that so much. All right, Lauren, we have a very full show today. What do we have up? Up on today's Problematic Women, we celebrate the 30-year anniversary of the fall of the Soviet Union and discuss why communism and socialism still appeals to young people. Plus, we celebrate the Christmas season with a little holiday trivia, and we bring you a special year-end Problematic Women of 2021. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. The informal title for today's show is Christmas and Communism, because to reference Narnia, communism is like it always being winter, but never Christmas. No, we haven't had a Christmas in a hundred years. What? No presents for a hundred years? <sighs> always winter, never Christmas. I love those books and, of course, the movie 
great thing to watch at Christmas time. Uh, but as I was preparing for today's show, I, I felt a little bit funny about it in some ways because I was thinking, gosh, this is our, our last show of 2021 and our focus is communism. That That's a little bit of a funny way to essentially uh, uh, end the year and uh, and to celebrate Christmas here as we close out. But then you know, I began thinking about the fact that Christmas time is such a good time to slow down and to reflect on what we have and to be grateful for what we have. And I think that few things make me feel more thankful and more grateful for what I have than when I read stories about communism and I realize the privilege of living in a free country, the privilege of not having to worry about where where my food is coming from, not having to worry about my rights of free speech. Uh, so it's so it's so critical in some ways this time of year to consider to consider those things that we do have. And while looking at at communist nations and the struggles that the people that live in those nations face really does open your eyes to the blessings of liberty. And this Christmas is especially significant because we are celebrating the 30-year anniversary of the fall of the Soviet Union. So the date was December 26, 1921, the official day, was when the Soviet Union dissolved. And here, to help us celebrate the anniversary and to debunk some of the myths about communism is our colleague, Brenda Hefera. Welcome, Brenda. Yes, thank you both for having me. It's good to be here. Brenda is the Assistant Director and Senior Policy Analyst at the Simon Center for American Studies here at the Heritage Foundation. And Brenda, you have a very unique personal connection to communism. Two years ago, you went to Hong Kong for a month, and this was at a time when there was a huge fight for freedom over there. China was trying to change Hong Kong's legal system to be able to seize people from Hong Kong for persecution by mock trial. And Hong Kong citizens, especially young people, were fighting tirelessly for their freedom. Can you tell us a little bit about what you saw when you were there two years ago? Yes, thank you. Um, So to start this off, I think it's important to understand the history of Hong Kong because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of misconception about what Hong Kong is like, what Hong Kongers are like in terms of their character. Um, So to give a little background on that, Hong Kong was a British territory for a long time, for about 150 years. And then in 1997, it was handed back to China. And for 50 years, the CCP agreed that they would not interfere in Hong Kong. They agreed that they would kind of allow Hong Kong to have its separate political and economic systems because the Hong Kong people had long known freedom and maintained that in their institutions. So I think that's important to understand because Hong Kongers are not communist in terms of their character. They care about things that we care about as Americans. They care about freedom of speech, freedom of protest in particular, and most important, the rule of law. So in 2019, what happened was China tried to pass, well, Hong Kong, but really China tried to pass an extradition bill that would allow Hong Kong citizens and potentially just visitors as well to be extradited to China for trial. 
And this was hugely problematic because it would essentially intertwine Hong Kong's judicial system Mm. with the Chinese system. And there was just a huge eruption about this. Uh, Two million people came out in protest. And the population of Hong Kong is only seven million. So it's quite (laughs) considerable. Yeah. Imagine that in the United States, roughly, you know, a third of your, your citizens are coming out to protest this law. And so there were protests Every weekend, the protesters were well organized, but at the same time, flexible. Their mantra was be like water. Mm. So they were trying to Mm. be flexible and um, combat whatever they came up against. And another thing that they had learned, there were protests, the Umbrella Revolution, and there were specific leaders of those protests. And this movement was not like that. There were no visible leaders because what happened before were those leaders were arrested. Mm. And so it undermined the effectiveness of the protests. So during these protests, they were being like water and making these very quick adjustments. Um, so every weekend there would be protests while I was there. I was there for about a month and every weekend Mostly these young people, as you mentioned, Lauren, uh, were coming out and protesting this bill and trying to prevent it being passed because it had been suspended but not withdrawn, which is an important technicality. And everyone who studies politics knows how this works, right? You put the bill aside and then when things kind of die down, then you reintroduce it and, and ram it through while people aren't paying as much attention. Okay. Wow. So – Ultimately, uh, how do things pan out in Hong Kong for those that didn't stay and follow things closely? Well, it panned out because kind of this is the way things go. Things naturally start to die down. And the the CCP, the Hong Kong government, really just kind of dug their heels in and didn't listen to protesters. And that then things also started to turn violent in certain kinds of ways because the government was not responding and actually listening to its citizens, right, Um, that they did not want this to happen. And the other thing that was exacerbating the situation was the Hong Kong police. And again, I think we have to be careful of like we have our own biases coming into that. Mm -hmm. But the Hong Kong police were very suspicious in the way they were acting. And there was one night after the protesters had thrown paint on the emblem of the Chinese Communist Liaison Building, which is China's highest governmental office in Hong Kong. This was a huge sign of disrespect to the CCP, and the protesters did this. And that very night, there were these Chinese thugs who went around and started beating people up indiscriminately. They were targeting protesters But everyday people got caught up, including a pregnant woman. And after this happened, the police did not respond to this, Mm -hmm. right? They actually shut their doors. And the Hong Kong police are incredibly efficient and incredibly responsive so that they did not do anything was a huge indication to the people of Hong Kong that the police were not on their side. Mm -hmm. And this was very suspicious. The best explanation I heard for this behavior was that China had started interfering in the training of police officers after the Umbrella Revolution. And so this is what was happening in the police. So all this was coming to head. It was never really resolved in Hong Kong, I would say, except now China has passed a security bill, which in effect has made sure that they can interfere in Hong Kong to an extreme extent. So they're actually... 
they're arresting lots of people who are um, saying negative things about the Chinese government. So Hong Kong is just kind of disintegrating as a place and a refuge of freedom. It's so sad. It's so tragic. And this this isn't just happening in Hong Kong. We've seen really – you look across the world and there's little pockets where where communism is -hmm. is still thriving. I just recently did a podcast interview for the Daily Signal podcast with a gentleman named John Suarez, and he leads the Centers for Free Cuba. And we were talking about the situation in Cuba and everything that's unfolded there over the past six or so months. And, you know, he was saying that really uh, so much of of the, the mission and the goal of the Communist Party there and really communism in general is to maintain control. Mm-hmm. And he was explaining that they don't allow locals to fish. I mean, Cuba, it's an <laughs> island. I mean, there's water everywhere. Fishing is, is an easy thing for people to do. But they have so restricted fishing because they want to import the food because if you think about it like the citizens are a lot harder to control it's a lot harder to control what people there uh, domestically would be catching what they would be growing producing but the government can control what is imported so they rely so heavily on imports which has led to food shortages and all of these other issues Uh, but i mean it's just it's mind-blowing the extent to which a communist regime will go in order to maintain Mm -hmm. that control Right. I think that's absolutely true. And they have to, because fundamentally, communism goes against human nature. Right. And so you have to use force Mm -hmm. to maintain it and to implement it. I mean, communism, this is it is against religion. It is against the family. Really, it cannot tolerate anything, any loyalty above the state. And in order to make sure that happens, you have to use force. It's just every every instance you see this over and over and again in communist regimes. Yeah. Wow. Well, and it's it's unfathomable, right? We we go out, we protest, we cover these protests here at the Daily Signal all the time. And it seems such a part of our American life to go out and these people in Hong Kong who are getting beaten up. I mean, the the courage that they must have and these Cuban activists, it's just it's almost hard as Americans for us to fathom not having these freedoms, not not being able to know like, OK, I, I mean, I know a lot of people in America do have food insecurity. But could you imagine not even being able to go to Walmart to get, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, like the stores that we have on every corner, just that's not an option. Yeah. There's this TikTok account that it's so great. I'll, I'll find it. We can put it in the um, show notes, the show notes. And it's this woman whose boyfriend or husband moved to the United States very recently. So she takes them to, you know, the mall or she takes them to Aww. Walmart. And he just like every time he just wells up with tears because he's like my whole life. We never we didn't have that. Like wow. we didn't know where our food was coming from. And like yeah. the fact that Americans shouldn't just walk in here. It, it's just such an amazing co- country. And it, it really does kind of humble you. Uh, we complain all the time about Taylor Swift or whatever, you know, (laughs) not getting the hottest Christmas gifts. But like we are so blessed just to be able to wake up in this country every day. Mm -hmm. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, every American essentially has won the lottery of humanity, Mm -hmm. right? You are so fortunate. You're one of the most privileged people that has ever lived on this planet. It's really wonderful. And just by the accident of your birth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, going from that, it's also mind-boggling that why there's people in this country pushing for communism. And Brenda, why why do you think in any sense of the word communism is popular, especially with these younger generations? I think there is a caricature of 
the communist and the communist revolutionary that young people have in their minds that it's totally inaccurate. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of the problem. Like they think of this Che Guevara character who's this spirited revolutionary fighting the good fight. And it's just wholly inaccurate, right? Um, people who live under communist regimes, if you talk to them, if you interact with them, they're not spirited. They're actually very reserved. They're very suspicious because you're cautious of what you say because you never know who's a spy and who's a member of the party who's going to turn you in. You don't even have any security necessarily in your own family of people who are actually within your own family might turn you in. Mm-hmm. And so that inculcates this kind of spirit in people that's it's really disheartening, right? They're constantly suspicious of people. This is the people who are actually spirited and have this kind of resilience and are willing to fight for their freedoms are democratic peoples. They're the people of Hong Kong. They're, they're Americans. They're these people. Those are the people who have a spirited character. It's not the Communist Party. And if you actually talk to people about what it feels to live under communism, there's a grayness to it. There's a grayness of spirit. There's a grayness to the architecture. Everything is uniform and cut, cookie cutter. Um, and it's it's not accurate to the kind of image that they have of what socialism is like. Yeah, you know, I was thinking, you know, maybe they're out there, but I have never heard someone come out of living in a communist country with praise for communism, with saying, oh, I miss communism. I wish the country I'm in now, I wish they could be communist too. I mean, you just don't hear that. Right, right. There are no people swimming for seven hours away from America to get to another place as there was in China, people fleeing from China to Hong Kong in shark-infested waters, Mm. swimming for seven hours to get to freedom, right? You don't hear stories about that in democratic countries. No, you certainly don't. Well, and, you know, I think we have to address some of the myths of of communism. And one of the reasons why I think some young people think that it could work, that socialism could work, that communism could work, is this myth of, well, it's never actually been tried before. (laughs) You know, we hear people say that like, well, yeah, maybe they sort of started out the wrong way, but then they got sidetracked and kind of turned into something else. I mean, what what is your response to that, Brenda? I mean, has has it actually been sufficiently tried? Can we rule it out that it is indeed a failure? (laughs) Well, my response would be, um, when is enough enough? Yeah. Mm. You know, communism to date has killed 100 million people. And that, I think, is a conservative estimate. So when is enough enough? When are we going to stop trying to implement the system that it comes at such a high cost to human life, to the human spirit? Um, and you hear these stories all the time. So... That would be one response. The other response would be, well, it has been tried, um, but also just read the the, um, Communist Manifesto Mm -hmm. and read what the aspiration actually is, a system where there is no religion, where there is no family, there are no nations, and ask yourself, is this a good system? Does Mm -hmm. this align with human nature that it's going to destroy historically the things that human beings have most been willing to fight and die for. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think a lot of my peers say that communism is 
or socialism is the more compassionate option, right? Mm -hmm. Capitalism is so harsh and brutalistic and there's winners and losers and there's people like Jeffrey Bezos going to the moon and then there's all these quote-unquote starving Americans. So hopefully everybody listening to the show is pretty problematic and understands why this is bad. But when when one of their friends brings up this argument, how can we show that while it seems like with capitalism there's winners and losers, but why in the end game communism is just so much worse for the individual than they would ever be under capitalism? So I think, I mean, the, the data is out on that, right? Um, part of the answer is let's study and learn our history and and study what has happened under communist regimes and study what has happened under democratic regimes. And I think that's part of the problem of in our curriculum, in our high school curriculum, we talk a lot about Nazism and what happened under that regime and the horrors of that regime, and as we should, but we spend very little time talking about the horrors of communism and what has actually happened in these places. And when you compare what that to that to what has actually happened in capitalist regimes, it's very clear capitalism has resulted in huge improvements for humanity and for people being able to exit poverty. You know, it's mm-hmm. you can you can track it. They have trackers of this of like the number of people every second mm-hmm. that exit poverty because of the innovations of capitalism. Yeah. And it's really I mean, if you one of the things I think is really helpful is, as Virginia said, talk to people who have actually lived mm-hmm. under these regimes and what it's actually like for the individual, what it means. I've heard a, a story from um, a Cuban refugee who said he couldn't host a party for his daughter on her birthday because he got a knock on his door saying, do you have a permit for this party? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right. These this is what it really means. This is what it means for everyday people to live under these regimes. Yeah. Well, I think you raise such a critical point on the history aspect and the education aspect that we have to be educating the next generation. People need to be learning in school. What is communism? What are the actual results of that? Because uh, you know people don't always realize if they're not taught it. Morgan Zangers is the founder of Young Americans Against Socialism, and she's been a guest on this show before. She actually just recently spoke at the Heritage Foundation for this this large event commemorating the fall of the Soviet Union, uh, and she spoke specifically about this education problem. And I want to play a clip of what she had to say because I think it's pretty profound. They're not connecting the dots in a proper way, so it's it's misinformation in an indirect way that makes it so that young people cannot connect the dots when we hear the same problems and promises of today. And so a red flag never pops up in our head when we hear someone call themselves a democratic socialist. I mean, Castro called himself a democratic humanitarian. So the, the words mean nothing to me because I love history and I know the stories. But for my generation, they were just told that bad people came to power and then a lot of people died because they committed genocide. And so you learn that and you're like, oh, that's horrible. Pol Pot sounds scary, but you didn't learn that he came and all these people came with these great promises to improve society via democratic socialism and the rest of the fluffy word. So I I love what Morgan says there because she's talking about the fact that in school, we sort of hear roughly like, yes, this terrible person came to power and they ruined everything. But the language 
isn't always there to explain to people this was someone who was advocating the principles of communism, who was a communist, and they brought that whole structure and they implemented it. And as a result, thousands, millions of people died. Uh, and we we uh, we really shoot ourselves in, in the foot as Americans if if we're not educating the next generation on the truth of socialism and communism. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's not a person listening to this podcast who <laughs> they probably know a socialist who probably wasn't that socialist before college. And now after college, it's <laughs> they're yeah. a completely different person. And yeah, we really are using public money to just brainwash people. And it's it's why it's important as as women and just as as people in society to be having these conversations, to remember these victims of communism and talk about the stories of people who are able to escape communism in our everyday life. To, so we don't allow one person who's been indoctrinated in these liberal education settings to continue to kind of push out that indoctrination to a greater society because I, I think they are more likely to evangelize it while we are we, we know the truth, but we're not going to be like, you're a stupid communist, right? <laughs> like we would never do that because we're kind and thoughtful where they want to paint us as the bad people. Mm, right. Yeah. Lauren, I think you hit the nail on the head of why this has happened. I mean, if you look at higher education institutions for their teaching programs, the most popular book that they are being taught is Pedagogy of the Oppressed, mm. which is a Marxist <laughs> test. <laughs> this is, wow. It's filtering down, right? This is what the teachers are being taught. And so they're the ones forming the curriculum for high schoolers. And are they going to teach about actually the realities, the horrors of communism when they themselves um, subscribe to Marxist ideologies. No, um, it doesn't fit into their narrative, right? Mm. All right. So for for myself and for everyone listening, what are maybe one or two books, Brenda, that you would recommend or just resources to like actually be following and tracking and educating ourselves on the realities of communism so that we can have intelligent conversations with our friends? So the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation is a wonderful resource. They have done so much to bring to light um, the victims of communism from all over the world, from throughout history. Um, so any, and they're actually building a museum. Hopefully next year will will come out. And of course, Dr. Lee Edwards, who is a visiting scholar, distinguished visiting scholar in the Simon Center, has done so much good work on communism and socialism and its ill effects. And we actually have an ebook that he has published with several articles on socialism. So I definitely recommend those. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right. Well, Brenda is going to stay with us. As I mentioned earlier, this show is all about communism and Christmas. So we've, we've done the communism part. So we're going to have a little bit of fun and talk about Christmas here <laughs> in just a minute. But first, I do want to take a moment and tell you all about some very binge-worthy content for this holiday season. If you are home and looking for something to do besides just endlessly scrolling through social media, then you need to check out the Daily Signal's YouTube channel. We are constantly posting new videos that are designed to keep you up to date on the news that you care about and give you the data and facts succinctly. And of course, we always want it to be entertaining. The Daily Signal YouTube channels features policy explainer videos, documentaries, entertaining clips from podcast interviews, 
and so much more. So go ahead and subscribe to the Daily Signal YouTube channel today so that you can stay informed and maybe have some uh, some good, enjoyable content over your Christmas holiday. All right, our next topic is a just a little bit lighter, and that is <laughs> Christmas traditions. So everybody has them, whether you are a you celebrate Christmas or maybe you have something to do the time of year while everybody else is celebrating Christmas. So we want to just talk about kind of what our family does and then get into the season with a little bit of trivia. So Virginia, does your family have any fun? Christmas tradition? So I'm going to mention two. Okay. When when I was little, we don't do this anymore because you kind of get to an age where it's like, all right, I think we've outgrown this. Um, but it's something I want to do with my kids. I, I love this tradition when I was a little kid. So in the morning, my dad would go downstairs and he would build a fire and he would put Christmas music on. And then my sister and I would wait at the top of the steps and he would come to the bottom of the steps and he would ring a bell. And when we heard the bell ring, then we would like run downstairs and see all the presents laid out. And it was like the sweetest moment. Why don't you do that still? You can still do it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I came in my late 20s. My sister's in her 30s. We might feel a little silly like no. running down the stairs. But, <laughs> but that was uh, one of one of my like childhood favorite Christmas memories. Um now we we do Christmas morning a little differently now. It's very, very slow. So we don't have any mm. kids in our family right now. So everyone sort of sleeps in and we slowly mm. wake up and we get food and then we kind of parcel out reading the Christmas story from, from the book of Luke throughout the day with opening mm. a few gifts. So like we'll open a couple gifts for one person mm. and then like we read another few scriptures and we open a gift and it makes for like this really slow, relaxed morning. And I just love it. It's it's a nice way to like just slowly move through the day with scripture mixed in as you're also opening gifts. And who doesn't love that? So, <laughs> Well, and I will say my family, too, has been sleeping in as everybody's been getting older. Mm -hmm. But it drives me crazy because a normal day, like I want to sleep until like eight or nine. And they're like, you're being so lazy. They come and get then on Christmas, they want to sleep in until like 10. And I'm like, out of every day of the year, this is the year where like, we should be up and at them. That's exciting. That's funny. <laughs> What about you, Brenda? Um, yeah, so my this is a tradition we still do. My dad's side of the family is Slovak, mm. and our big celebration is actually on Christmas Eve. And Aww. as part of that celebration, um, we get these wafers, which are rectangular, but are the consistency of the communion wafer. Mm. And you break them in half. You put honey in between and make a a sandwich kind of and then you each go around to every person in the room and you take their wafer and you say to them why you appreciate them or why you admire Aww. them you Aww. wish them goodwill in the next year and it's just a really private personal message and then you break a piece of their wafer and eat it and you each go each turn and That's you profound. it's, it's yeah. wonderful oh my and goodness yeah i love that it's, there are always tears inevitably right there's oh. about it's the big catholic family so mm -hmm. there are about 30 people and you go around to each person and you each do this and you kind of know the people in the room who are mm -hmm. going to get you. Yeah. Who's going to say something that, that brings mm. you to tears. But it's wow. it's really a lovely tradition. That is beautiful. That is really nice. I love that. Lauren, do you have a favorite favorite holiday tradition besides everyone not getting up with you in the morning? Uh, well, you know, I just, 
you don't have to like wake up at like six thirty in the morning. But there has to be a happy medium. Oh, they, sure. They like to sleep until like ten o'clock. Yeah, no. And I'm just like, because what are you doing between? I'm not gonna like turn on the television. Like they're <laughs> just like morning. start playing Christmas yeah. carols really loudly. <laughs> my mom listens to this podcast, so now we, I know like it's gonna be like seven o'clock. She's gonna be knocking on the door, and being like, Lauren, I'm up. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I love that. So we might have to uh, copy that because we're actually doing we're Slovak and Polish. So this year we're doing halishki and glubkis and um, pierogies for Christmas oh, Eve. Yeah. So we're like oh, – We so always do halushki. It's it's mm. all these white things like potatoes, just halushki. <laughs> it is not a light meal. No. Like this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we every year – you get to pick one Christmas gift to open on Christmas Eve. And it's right before everybody mm. goes to bed. And especially as a little kid, you were just so excited. You, you know, you pick like the biggest one. But now you kind of pick one that – this is from a family member, and you know they're That's so nice. it's yeah, it's always like a nice kind of pre-Christmas. Everybody, you know, you make a hot chocolate or eggnog Aww. and sit around. And Did you shake the presents oh, when you were a hundred percent? I would open the biggest one. But <laughs> then every once in a while, you'd open like the biggest one and be like a huge thing of socks, and you'd be like, oh, I wasted my one present on this. <laughs> <laughs> That's Take so, it. Well, and this year I'm really excited. On the show, I probably took. Too much, but I have a two-year-old niece, and we just got back from Disney, and she is just at the cutest age, and she just laughs and giggles at everything. So I'm pretty sure our presents this year is going to be like one half of a present for everybody else, and then like ninety yeah. percent for the baby. And we're just exactly. like, <laughs> she's going to get spoiled. Yeah, this she, I got her. You, uh, good thing she can't listen to podcasts because yeah. I'm going to tell her where to get her. You know those like little Taiko cars? The, 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 yes, uh, I always yeah. wanted one of those. Oh my gosh. So they live kind of in, in the country a little bit. So it's a pink pickup truck version oh, of this little oh Taiko car. Oh my and, like, gosh. She's going to lose her mind. Oh yeah. I ordered like three months ago to make sure I'm like, Joe Biden, be damned. This little pickup truck is getting here by Christmas. So it is like the cutest little thing and oh I just, my gosh. she's going she's gonna to die. She's going to oh. love it. I am super surprised you know, that you get to sleep in because where's the two-year-old niece like not going to wake you up? <laughs> yeah. She sleeps later than anybody. She sleeps until like 9.30 in the morning. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. oh I wish that's my girl. Yeah. My, my nephew will put his fingers under the door. Oh, <laughs> oh <laughs> that's, that's so cute. cute. That's very that's cute. So cute. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody? Uh, well, one of my favorite things to do at Christmas is is play games. Uh, sometimes to my family's chagrin, I'm like, let's play a board game. And they're like, fine. <laughs> Virginia's family, you can call me for moral support on Christmas Day. <laughs> yeah, they, you might get some calls. Uh, so I, I thought it would be fun if we did uh, just a tiny bit of Christmas trivia. And so... For all of us, all, all of our listeners out there, you can take some of these uh, some of these little bits of trivia home with you and ask your family around the dinner table. Um, so, a few fun questions here. We'll start with with an easy one. Uh, what words follow "Silent Night" in the song? I'll let Brenda take this one because you do not want to hear me sing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't commit to singing. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I didn't sing. It goes "Silent Night." Holy Holy night. Holy night. (laughs) Thanks, Lauren. Always calm. That's good. Always bright. Yeah, I don't sing in public. (laughs) Oh, I will. People can hear me. (laughs) All right. Which country started the tradition of putting up a Christmas tree? I mean, I have no idea, but I'm going to guess America. (laughs) Mark. Sadly, no. Mm. Uh, Renda, any guesses? I want to say Germany. For You're some right. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. You got it. Well done. I'm impressed. 
All right. The name of the very last ghost who visited Scrooge in The Christmas Carol. He's visited by uh, technically four ghosts, but he has three different kind of Christmas ghosts that visit okay, him. Okay. I'm going to say is, this. Uh, one of our traditions, which my brother hid this film from me because I watched it too many <laughs> times, was The Muppets Christmas Carol. Oh watch it every year. That is my family's it's, favorite Christmas movie. We watch it every year. It's so fantastic. It's so good. It's so good. Yes. And I just watched it again because I'm not too old for that. Um, but it's the ghost of future Christmases, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Future Christmases. Well done. Okay. Who wrote these words? Christmas does not come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. Dr. Seuss. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad Brenda's here. Chris. We brought in the ringer. Yeah. I mean, you have to take one for the team. Yeah. Yeah. Lauren gets double points. I was for actually going to guess Christmas shoes, that annoying Christmas song. Oh. That was probably where I would have guessed oh, gosh, that from. song. Yeah. <laughs> That'll no. get you. Yeah. <laughs> that song does there not need to be played in the. Shoes. Oh. It's heartbreaking. Overplayed. <laughs> Overplayed. <laughs> So what was the first, this is number six, we'll do two more. What was the first company that used You skipped Santa- one, so it's five. Oh, did I skip five? No, you skipped three. Oh, I skipped three. Oh, I did, and that's a good one. Okay, thanks, Lauren. Um, what was the highest grossing Christmas movie of all time? Die Hard. <laughs> is that a Christmas movie? A lot of people say it is. Oh, it's a huge yeah, debate. No. Like, yeah, I know like every guy is like, it's a Christmas movie. <laughs> okay. Virginia's like, if they don't play it on the Hallmark, ch- Hallmark Channel, it's not a Christmas movie. It doesn't count. <laughs> uh, so any guesses? Highest grossing Christmas movie mm-hmm. of all time. I can give a hint. A uh, former president had a cameo in it. Oh, Home Alone, yes. too. Lost in New York. Oh, Home Alone. Right? Good call. So I don't actually know if it was one or two that's the highest grossing, but Home Alone. I thought two was the one that Trump was in. It might have been two that he was in, because that oh. was the New York one. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Popular. Popular mm. movies. All right. What was the first company that used Santa Claus in advertising? I think I know this one. Is it Coca-Cola? It's Coca-Cola. Mm. You're right. Well done. All right, last one. The movie A Miracle on 34th Street is based on this real-life department store. Is it Macy's? Yeah. Wow. You all are a solid combo. Good job. <laughs> you got everyone. Well done. <laughs> well, Brenda, thank you so much for joining us today. We really, really appreciate you coming on to talk about communism and, and Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> one more uplifting than the other. Yes. <laughs> that was a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we look forward to having you back on in the new year. I'd love that. Are you looking for an easy and entertaining way to keep up with the news you care about? The Daily Signal and Heritage Foundation YouTube channels offer interviews with policy experts on the most critical issues and debates America is facing today, as well as short explainer videos that break down complex issues and documentaries that dive deep into the ways policy actually impacts people. Go ahead and subscribe to both the Daily Signal and Heritage Foundation YouTube channels today. You can search for either on your YouTube app or visit youtube.com slash heritage foundation and youtube.com slash daily signal. All right. Well, this is normally the part of the show where I go, and the problematic woman is, <laughs> which I, I probably will miss not being able to dramatically do that this week. But we are, we just couldn't pick one. It's the end of the year, and we are in a time of just kind of reflection, right? So we picked five problematic women. 
Yeah, we are celebrating some of the most problematic women from 2021. So they are Megan Kelly, Mississippi Attorney General Lynn Fitch, Barry Weiss, Abigail Schreier, and Casey James. And because we're women, there's no order. We love them all the same. (laughs) (laughs) All equal year. (laughs) Sort of. (laughs) But we will do a problematic women of the year off. How do we, how would you say that a competition? We'll let you vote. We'll let you pick one. Let the people choose. Yeah. It's a democracy here. Yeah. Do what Virginia and I couldn't. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to let you all choose. So we're going to have a poll up on, up on Instagram. And so uh, you all can vote and pick who you think out of these five awesome women was the very most problematic in 2021. Well, to go over each woman individually, we'll start off with a strong favorite, Megan Kelly. Her podcast debuted, I believe, in 2020, but really picked up steam in 2021. Great interviews, always timely and never afraid to back down from an issue that she was passionate about. Mm hmm. And the Mississippi Attorney General Lynn Fitch, she is such a staunch supporter of life, of the unborn, and she's really been leading the charge in this Dobbs Supreme Court case that just went before the Supreme Court in early December. This is the case that could overturn Roe v. Wade, uh, and she is playing a really critical role. I mean, if if uh, if Dobbs is successful and Roe v. Wade is overturned, history will remember the name Lynn Fitch. Barry Weiss is a former New York Times writer and now has her own Substack. She's a relentless truth teller and through all the years has cut through the noise of corporate media to report facts, even when those facts are not very popular. Mm -hmm. So true. Abigail Schreier is a journalist. She's the author of Irreversible Damage, the Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. And she testified before Congress multiple times this year to share the truth about the harmful ways that the transgender movement is affecting young women and girls. She is a really powerful voice on this topic. Few people are speaking out uh, about this with with the boldness that she is. She has done her research on this issue and uh, is has a, a really powerful message for this moment in history. And of course, K.C. James, she just finished serving as heritage president has years of public service and in her final days at the Heritage Foundation filed a lawsuit against the vaccine mandate. Just an awesome woman. Make sure if you haven't listened to the interview we did with her, go back and listen to it for sure. So these are our five awesome women. Again, that poll is going to be up on our Instagram account today. So uh, be sure to check it out and lock in your vote. I love that all five of these women are really fighters, right? Yes. Like that just seems like the theme of the, they push back. I think for every description, we had truth teller in there. Yeah, they, I know. You know? <laughs> but they are. Yeah, like they, they all are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I need to vary my words a little there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's about time to end the show. Mm. Our last show of 2021. Crazy. I know. Where did this year go? I know. I still feel like I'm recording this like on my floor and like a little like (laughs) toy microphone over COVID. And now we've been back in the studio for like nine months. Something like that. Yeah. And so it's just been great to be back. And we are more than ever so grateful for you, our listeners. And just thank you so much for joining us every week.
Yeah, we are truly so thankful for you all. We we do the show for you. It would obviously be pointless for Lauren and I just to sit here and talk to one another. It'd be fun still. It'd be fun. It'd be I mean. fun, but yeah. <laughs> so we we love hearing from you all. And and speaking of getting that feedback, if you have never left us a five-star rating on Apple Podcast or a do review, it, do please do, do, it, it, do, do it, it, do it, do <laughs> it. Uh, that can be your Christmas present to Lauren and I. It's free. It's, it's free. Totally free. Who, who else to guess for free Christmas yeah, gifts? No. No one. <laughs> but we're trying to get some more reviews in before the end of the year. So please take a moment and uh, and let us know what you think. It's so, so helpful. And if you are not subscribed to the Problematic Women Instagram account, follow us. You can just search for Problematic Women. Look for that bright pink logo. And if you DM me, I will respond. So far, I've been able to manage that responding to everybody. Mm -hmm. So hopefully that can continue. Fingers crossed. But love getting to interact with you all on the Problematic Women Instagram account. It's super fun. Well, it had to end. Last Problematic Women 2021. Wow. Everybody have a really great Christmas and a super happy new year. And we will be back with you on January 6th with a brand new edition to launch 2022. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.